Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another uh, episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. My name is Eric Skorzynski. As always, I'm your host, uh, walking through some of these interviews and trying to shed a light on abuse within the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. Uh, Today's episode is a really good conversation, and uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, I also want to take a second and uh, tell you guys about a pretty new story that's just happened, uh, so you can look into it. Um, Todd Travis Hogue, uh, he's a graduate of Howells Anderson College in Crown Point, Indiana, uh, is currently listed on their alumni page as of the recording date, which is uh, February 11th. Um, the case has not yet exceeded the statute of limitations and involves, uh, two teenage girls, uh, at the time, uh, being raped or sexually assaulted, uh, by Travis, uh, Todd Travis Hogue. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that case is active right now. If you visit preacherboysdoc.com, you can visit the abuser database, find out more information about that specific case there. It's also uh, one of the most recent posts on the Preacher Boys Facebook page. And, uh, hopefully with the case being within the statute of limitations, we can actually see something be done. Uh, one of the hardest things, um, to see is so many stories in my inbox, so many stories that you can find online, so many reports, news stories about women who, you know, weren't able to come forward until it was too late and the statute of limitations had expired. And so you see these guys sitting there smugly for decades with absolutely no repercussions, nothing happening to them, but all these victims having to sit there and deal with the repercussions um, for many decades moving on. And so hopefully with, with the nature of this case, with the statute of limitations being what it is, um, I'm hoping that awareness of this story and appropriate legal attention will see it 
uh, be dealt with in the proper way. And um, I can't, I mean, there's so many stories that haven't even been talked about yet on the show. Um, just so many stories of guys who have gotten away with this stuff for so long. And it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's infuriating. It's wrong. And it needs to stop. And uh, I hope this episode, this podcast, uh, kind of pushes things in the right direction as far as seeing awareness raised about these issues, about um, you know legal action being taken, appropriate legal action being taken. And so we see guys like this get put behind bars. Um, that being said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the episode here. Um, this interview is with uh, John Hollyfield. Uh, John is a pastor. Uh, he is currently uh, teaching at a church. I'll drop a link in the show notes below. Uh, but we talk quite a bit about the issues he saw within the Independent Federal Baptist Movement. We talk about the experiences that he had and the uh, the odd things that pushed him away um, away from that church and the, the churches he was involved with. Um, John did ask me to disclose at the beginning of the uh, interview. Uh, once we got off the our conversation, he asked me to just disclose this, so there was no hiding what was happening, and there was no um, cover-up on his end, but he did want me to make clear he does have a younger brother who was arrested uh, for the sexual abuse of a minor, and um, although that didn't come up in the conversation with the way that I introduced the episode, um, he did want that to be clear. Um, he wanted that to be out in the open and something that people understood for context, um, when he found out, he did make the proper steps, made sure it was reported to the authorities, made sure that the pastors there did the right thing, and I applaud him for that. And it's not an easy thing to accept or to share uh, that a family member is doing something like this. And so um, I just wanted to let you guys know that. That was his wish. I'm not speaking out of turn. Um, I just want to share that with you guys. There's so much on my heart, guys. Um, I know so many of you reached out um, talking about, you know, just hanging in there. Uh, sharing these stories, this is a difficult project to be working on, and that couldn't be more accurate. Um, it's incredibly tiring, exhausting, um, saddening, upsetting, infuriating uh, to see this stuff happening, to see duplicates of the same story happening over and over and over again across all 50 states. And I just say from the bottom of my heart that I hope this podcast and the, the stories that are told will share, um, will really share and spark a passion for people to see um, more light shine on this, more victims given a chance to speak out, uh, more um, predators stopped. And uh, I really appreciate every single one of you listens, shares episodes, uh, leaves comments, helps uh, look into cases. Um, every single one of you is so important to what we're doing here. Thank you for listening. Um, not to start this off on an extremely dour note, but I just wanted to say that. Uh, that's what's immediately on my mind right now. And uh, I'm just really hoping and praying with everything in me that this podcast, this documentary, uh, these stories enact change that should have happened the minute the first IFB church began abusing its people. The minute the first time a guy like Jack Hiles abused his power, the first time that someone went and duplicated the the evil, wicked things that they learned to do from the leadership before them. 
it's, you know, the best time for this to change would have been at the very beginning, but the second best time is right now. So please, um, just listen to victims, um, address abuse. And if your family is in a church that has tendencies toward these kind of things, just leave. It's the best thing you can do for your family. Thank you all for listening. Um, and now let's get into the interview with John Hollyfield. All right, John, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Um, first, just tell me kind of how you got introduced to the IFP movement. What was kind of the, the start of that relationship there? Yeah, so I was born into an IFB home. Uh, my dad uh, went to Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida, and that's where he met my mom. My mom graduated from there. My dad went there, and uh, he had gone to the Sword of the Lord Conference in 1980 after being converted, and uh, he was looking for a Bible college to go to, and basically Bob Gray, uh, which I'll mention some things about Bob Gray a little bit later, was the one that made an impact on him, so he went there, and um, he did not graduate. He wanted to be an evangelist, but he had been divorced. And so in the IFB world, the D word is the scarlet letter. And uh, he, he left. They left there after they had had a couple of kids. And he went to a church in North Carolina that was big bus ministry. It was actually um, pastored by the son-in-law of Bobby Robertson, who pastors Gospel Light in Walkertown, North Carolina. And uh, he was going to go be a bus captain and everything. But then the guy said, no, here, I want you to do this. And your wife teaches the Christian school and I'm going to pay you nothing. And my dad was like, uh, no, I got a family to support. So he went to the church. He worked the church. He worked the bus ministry. But um, he, he just worked a full-time job, which I, I applaud him for that. But he still was in it. And uh, so that pastor left when I was a child and we got a new pastor in. And so the church that I grew up in was independent fundamental Baptist, but they weren't, they weren't serious about it. If I can say that I'm basically looking back on it. The only thing that I could say was real IFB about the church that I grew up in as a teenager and, and those things was they were KJV only, but they didn't rub that in your face. Now my dad did. That was my dad's big thing was I remember growing up and seeing you know, uh, D.A. Waite's books on his bookshelf and, and, and having Peter Ruckman's books on his, on his nightstand. That was his thing. And um, so I was, I was, you know, some things that I went through in, in, with my parents in, in high school. I, uh, I, wanted, I was ready to go to college, and I wanted to do something with psychology. I wanted to go into that realm, and my dad was pretty adamant about, you know, hey, will you go to a good college here, good college <laughs> and uh, meaning an IFB college to to get a year under your belt before you go do something like that. I was like, sure. So at the time, he was uh, working in a construction company, and they were building dormitories for uh, – and I, I don't mind mentioning names or anything like that with this. I will hold back a little bit on my time in West Virginia because I still have some friends up there, and I don't want to sever those relationships. But uh, – we went to Champ, went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I went to what was known then as Champion Baptist College. Now they've they've changed and they're they're they've actually swung the complete other direction. They're Champion Christian College, and I I went to Champion Baptist College uh, in 2005, and that was my real introduction to the basic IFB world, and um, and I was I, you know I was I was. I got into it and I bought it 
hook, line, and sinker. You know, I jumped into it, and I was – it wasn't a month there. They had a conference, and I surrendered to the ministry and being a youth pastor. And so I was I was all about it. I ate everything up, everything. Um, the preaching, the preachers they'd have come in there, I ate it all up. And uh, worked a bus ministry, and so did a lot of those things. And, um, and then towards uh, – there were some things that I just didn't get. I, like they started with the rules, like the girls dress standards. And I was complaining about that. And my dad was like, are you a girl? And I was like, no. And he's like, so why is it bothering you? And I was like, well, okay, okay, okay. I'll just leave it alone. You know, I thought some of the rules were dumb, but they didn't really apply to me at the time. So I just let it go. I never really jumped onto that as a standard. Uh, I, you know, it just never made sense to me. Uh, that, that modesty dress standard for women, uh, the knee link skirts and all that stuff. Um, I, uh, I went to work at a summer camp in Arkansas as part of a scholarship program for the college. And that was where I really started getting exposed so, to, to some, you know, seeing churches come in to be ultra right, you know, the, the culottes right. down to the floor and guys had, could only wear blue jeans doing any activity. And, uh, that just sort of started, I just got frustrated. I was like, this, explain to me why, explain to me why. But at the same time, I was getting some of the, probably a very, sh- uh, no, definitely a very shallow education, a very shallow education. Right. I mean, it was more concerned with teaching you to do bus ministry, go soul winning, do this, do this, do this, than actually teaching you theology, doctrine, thinking through things, critical thinking. Um, applying theology to everyday situations. So did you, did you have, was this the first time you had these frustrations or notice these kind of these oddities within the IFB was college the first time that you kind of started questioning that stuff was oh, it yeah. up on. So up until then was completely, like you said, it was just bought in. Like I, I take it for what it is and don't question well, yeah, I mean, the only, like I said, the only thing that I ever saw beforehand was the KJV only thing, and I, I was, I was all into that. Whenever I, so I yeah. don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but there's probably some people listening who aren't familiar with when you say KJV only. So can you? I know it's a, a topic you could spend a lot of time talking about, but can you tell me what that means and why that is such an important issue within independent Baptist churches? Yeah, that's um, it, it, the interesting thing is too, and I, I, I don't want to try to lump everybody into the same because right. even the even the KJV only crowd's fragmented. Yeah, because there's 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 about four or five different groups that. Well, you mentioned Ruckman and where Ruckman's they, teaching is not yes. widely accepted. Ruckman's within. the yeah, Ruckman's the extreme of the extreme, and so basically right. the idea is this: that the King James version that we have is the only Bible that English people, well, I mean, some take it beyond that, that anybody should be using. Right. And that um, other translations can range from either being bad, unacceptable, to the work of Satan, the work of the devil. Right. And then go, they go from extremes to, um, well, somebody could get saved using a King James Bible, but if you want the pure word of God, you got to get King James too. No one can get saved unless they are saved using a King James Version. And um, so 
I, I went to a Christian school in high school where they had the dress standards for that, but I didn't, I personally never knew anybody that lived that outside of, of a, of a school right. or anything. So when I come to college, this is all like, Oh, this is, and then the politics of everything, you know, uh, this, and so by the end of Bible college, I was jaded. I was very jaded because I looked up the, the guy, the, the pastor and the, 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 the president of the college was Eric Pacey and I loved him and he was a very loving guy. And I just saw him get treated terribly by other for stupid things. It was like, okay, the, the college basketball team wore uh, shorts to play basketball instead of wind pants. Therefore, <laughs> RB Olet is telling people around the country, champions liberal, don't send your kids there. And then he looks in with David Gibbs to look at getting the college accredited. And then you got other pastors around the country saying they're going liberal, they're going Southern Baptist. Like that was the, the, right. the unpardonable sin. And I just, I guess it was more of a, hey, this is the guy that I love, you know, and you guys, this doesn't make any sense. And so it was sort of a defensive thing. I got jaded. I graduate Bible college. I finished in three and a half years. So I start interviewing for youth pastors. I interviewed several times. And this is my perspective. I know that I can't prove any of this. It's not the truth. Right. But I was nobody's son. I was not from a big church. I was not from a popular youth group or youth pastor. I was a nobody there. And, uh, and I didn't get hired by anybody. And so a Southern Baptist church that my brother was affiliated with and my hometown in North Carolina called me up and said they were looking for a youth pastor. And I said, yeah, <laughs> okay. And uh, so I, I left the independent fundamental Baptist very jaded, very, you know, I'm done at that time. But see, the thing was, is I, I was so, I didn't know anything. I just knew standards and rules and why I didn't like the standards and rules. I didn't know any theology. And uh, for that reason, I went there. And of course, there, it was sort of like an opposite. And I enjoyed it for the first little bit. I was like, this is great. Nobody's judging anybody because a teenage girl came to sh the youth, youth activity in, in shorts above her knees. And uh, it's, it's okay. And um, so my wife and I poured our lives into those teenagers for a year. And then by the end of the year, I realized that me and the pastor were I was not, <laughs> I was not as unindependent fundamental Baptist as I had thought I was. And so there were things that, uh, that we were in going two different directions. And so I called up, uh, brother Capace and I was like, you know, I think I need it. So he put, he, he links me up with an independent fundamental Baptist guy, West Virginia. So now I leave there after a year, we go to West Virginia and, um, this is this is where the the experience comes from. So, yeah, I know that you had talked about an earlier podcast where you're you were talking about sort of getting ideas and and, and viewpoints from from many different because uh, because they're so friendly. My dad used it this way. He said every guy gets their orders from headquarters, and uh, and so the different uh, sects, you know, Howells, Anderson, West Coast, North Valley. Uh, uh, Let's see, you got the one in Florida, you got the Longview group in Texas, and then um, you got Crown. 
right. and Clarence Sexton. So the church that I went to in West Virginia was um, the pastor. Basically, most of the people that came from there, they were crowned. Anything they did, uh, they graduated from crown. They were close with the Sextons. Anything that we did, conferences, groups, things, it was all going back to Temple and Knoxville and Crown. So I got very familiar with Crown right off the bat. And uh, I was, even from the get-go, I was not a fan of, of Clarence Sexton. I just, the first conference we went to, I just thought, this is a guy that is full of himself. And, and what, what gave you that? Was it just a gut feeling? Was it something that the way that he said things about himself or was it, was there something specific that just really like hit you? Like, Oh, that's weird. It was a controlling factor of everything that he did in a service. So you go to a conference and he wants to sit there and tell you, we went to a marriage conference. I love the marriage conferences except for when he was up there right. because it was like, Hey, I want everybody to do this. Now stop. Now turn to your wife and say this. I want you to talk to your wife for about 90 seconds. Now stop. And it's like, this is just a power trip. This is all this is. He's sitting there controlling everybody and like hundreds of people or a thousand people in the audience just because he can. It, 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 it served no purpose to help our relationship because it wasn't even enough time to get the conversation going with your spouse. It was, and I, and I saw it with invitations. He would, he would have these altar calls and have people come down there. And then if somebody tried to get up to leave, no, 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 stay down here. We're going to have a prayer. He would not let, he did not like people leaving the altar call until he right. said the prayers that they could leave the altar call. And I was like, it was, it, it, I, 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 I never, never got with it. But, you know, I was trained at college to be a yes man. You get in there, you, you right. serve the pastor, you do, you make the pastor look good, you do all this. And so, we went there, and I was just I, – I was young. I just wanted to serve God. I was so excited. So we, we, uh, we, we have our initial meeting. The pastor hires us. We move our stuff there day one. I come in, and he has a meeting, initial meeting with me and my wife and uh, wants to go over sort of some expectations stuff. And everything was, you know, okay, cool. And then he says this. He says – um, have you guys thought about having children? We're like, yeah, but it's, you know, we wanted to wait a little bit. That's all we said. We wanted to wait a little bit. He said, okay. He said, I would like for you to make an agreement, a verbal agreement with me that you're not going to have kids for three years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So me, I'm like, okay, I wanted to serve. I was ready to get in there. We were thinking about waiting at least a year anyway. So I didn't think anything about it later right. on, like three years later, when I'm on my way out, I'm talking to my best friend. I tell him that story. And he's like, I would have walked out of the room right there and say, see ya. I said, really? Yeah. Was that that crazy of a request? I didn't even get it then. Now I right. think how, how idiotic. Right. And um, so we, we basically, I mean, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, just going at it. And then they had a Christian school there. They were wanting to take the Christian school. They had Christian school traditional up until about sixth grade. And then the Christian school, the, the high schoolers and junior high did DVD courses. And so they wanted to take the Christian school full traditional. So they brought me in and they said, would you be willing to teach a class to help us um, do do traditional. I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, 
I would, I love history. So maybe a history class and a Bible class. I said, okay. Uh, I get my schedule. Now I'm the youth pastor. I'm the full-time youth pastor with a youth group for about 20 to 30, give or take some. And, uh, you know, basically also doing whatever they need me to do. And then I'm doing, I get my schedule. I'm doing five periods. Then the teacher quits. And now I'm doing, I'm doing seven periods a day. And, uh, and then I'm teaching, you know, I'm, but one of the classes I'm monitoring a DVD course, but it, it, then the next year I'm doing seven periods a day and they're putting me in science classes and math classes. And I'm like, listen, guys, I don't know any of this stuff. Do these right. parents realize what kind of education they're getting, their kids are getting? Yeah. But the stickler to the whole thing that I just dealt with and put up with and put up with, and one of the things that caused me to say, all right, I can't do this anymore was um, I never got a penny from the Christian school. So it was completely volunteer, so to speak. Absolutely. It took up 50 hours of my work week, but I didn't get paid. And the reason why I'd say, well, you know, you might make the justification, well, the church was paying you, so that's part of your church pay. Well, the only thing that bothered me about that was um, the principal of the Christian school was the song director and got a paycheck from the church and a paycheck from from the school. Right, and so that I, I about I took that a little bit as 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 long as I could. So the the, the other big thing that happened there that sort of hurt us and uh, was two years go by. My wife comes to me and she's like, "You know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to have a kid. I'm ready to have a baby." I was like, "Oh well, we got to wait another year." And she's like, "Seriously?" And so I called a pastor friend of mine, and I was like, hey, uh, I got a question for you. So I was asking his counsel on it, and I told him what I just told you about the agreement that I made. And uh, he cracked up. He said, brother, there ain't no man in this world needs to be telling you what to be doing in your bedroom. I was like, oh, okay. So we, uh, yeah, she gets pregnant, and um, I could tell that they were aggravated. They were aggravated, and we, we, we had the decision to make on whether to put the kid, our baby, in, uh, in daycare and her stay teaching at the Christian school or her stay home. And uh, they thought we should put the baby in daycare and her teaching the Christian school, and we decided that it was our responsibility to take care of our children. So we decided that she was going to stay home, and they didn't like that decision either. And um, the the – so that was that that made some tension there but the 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 one thing that i'm ashamed of the most was see my wife when she was 12 years old her brother was killed she they had a big family and when she was 14 years old another brother of hers was killed so she had already gone through the loss of two brothers they were really close the the family was always close while we're there she's about five months pregnant she gets a phone call one night and her stepbrother her half-brother Finds out that they were in an accident and he was killed. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she had been through so much and I just knew, all right, that's it. So I made a couple phone calls. I said, hey, we got to go. So we went, went to back to Tennessee and we were there for the funeral. But the situation was it was a family riding their bicycles and uh, a car, the son was hitting the windshield, the car hit them. So it hit the, the, the dad, which was my, my wife's half brother. He died instantly, and then the car hit his wife, 
Now she got, she was, she got banged up really bad because of that. They had to postpone the funeral a few days for her to get out of the hospital. So whereas you normally have what would it like a three, three day turnaround, sometimes four yeah. day turnaround for the death to the funeral. This was actually extended a little bit longer. Well, I informed them as soon as we sort of found out that that was going to be the case, I informed them, Hey, this is what happened. They have to wait for the wife to get out of the hospital. So the funeral is going to be on this day, which is about five or six days later. So we were gone from the ministry that long. And so the funeral was going to be held that day. And then I said, the next day we'll be traveling back. And then the day after that, we'll be back in the work about eight or nine days, basically. Right. Right. And, uh, he texts me, doesn't call me. No phone call. Right. I get a text message from the pastor, not asking how Mary's doing, not asking how my wife's doing right, or the family, but saying, Hey, we're going to need you to get back on Tuesday, which was the day of the funeral. So basically what he was saying was as soon as the funeral's over, hit the road, right. You get back. Now this is where I told you I was, I I felt, I still to this day regret and feel shame because I should have just texted him back and said, "Eh -eh." instead, I told my wife Mm. and that's what I, I I mean, I should have been the husband she needed me to be. And I said, Hey, I just got a text message from pastor and they want us back that day. She just looked at me and she came apart. Yeah. She was like, John, there's, there's no way I, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to go back into the classroom the next day. Right. I said, don't worry about it. At, At that moment, I was so convicted. I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I texted him. I said, if you think this is insubordinate or not, I apologize, but here's the deal. Model's not going to be able to do this. So we will have the funeral. The next day we'll travel. The day after that, we'll be back in the office. I apologize if you think this is being insubordinate. This is just, I got to put my wife first here. Sent the message. Never heard a reply. Wow. Got back. Nobody ever said anything about it at all. Like, oh. they never brought it up. They never were like, yeah, we understand, or, you know. It was just like, wow. But um, I started uh, – my, my, my exodus from there began by starting to read. I, you know, like I said, I was very shallow. Somebody kept recommending me this book called Radical by David Platt. So I was like, all right. So I got, I read a book that's really changed my, rocked my world. And I was just, then something clicked in my brain. I want to read. I want to get some more of this. I want my, my mind was opening up past the independent fundamental Baptist stuff. And uh, so I read radical and I was just like, this is not like our church at all. And um, a couple of things happened. And so we, we, we left there and I was still, like I said, I was still KJV only and all that stuff. I came here. And my pastor, we found a church here, and it's interesting because what's what's happened essentially is we've ha- we have a ministry now here at our church, small church, but we have a ministry where we we help people that were hurt from legalism, hmm. and that most I'd say ninety percent of our church body are people that came from an IFB church or some type of legalism. And they found us because my pastor, we met and we were hurt. We were hurt. We were, our intention was to take six months off of the ministry. And um, 
and uh, then go back out there and find another one. And we were visiting some churches in the area, found this guy, and he wanted to take us to dinner. Found out he had worked, I don't know if you're familiar with Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where the Sword of the Lord was involved with so long. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds familiar. It's probably from Sword of the Lord that I'm familiar with the name. Yeah, they are like a, a Mecca church almost in, in this area because of the, and it's part of it is because of the sword. Billy Kelly pastored there, then Tom Wallace, and now Mike Norris is the pastor there. Oh, yeah, Mike Norris. I'm familiar with him through, uh, I, I did some work with Awake America um, probably three or four years ago. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with a couple of guys out of there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> My pastor worked there at Franklin Road for like 20 plus years and he left there and he sort of had a, a, an experience where he went to a church and, and that guy, the pastor there helped him sort of branch out of IFB. And so telling his, him telling his stories of how pastors treated him really helped Mary and I. And he, he then, God used him to help us heal. And then he started, hey, you, why don't you listen to this guy? Why don't you read this book? And then next thing you know, he's given me opportunities to preach and do a series here and there. And, you know, that's causing me to dive in the Bible even more and dive into the scriptures. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I find the ministry of John MacArthur and the rest is history for me. <laughs> uh, I was, I was still very KJV only. I was, I was actually one of those people. I would teach on it and I would debate and I would, you know, I would look for somebody cause I always thought that people that weren't KJV only, they just didn't know they hadn't right. done their work. They just weren't educated as you were. <laughs> right. And, uh, then I start listening to like Chuck Swindoll and, and Tony Evans and John MacArthur. And I'm like, these guys are, brilliant with the bible why are they so off with what bible to use right and uh i was at a church member's house who used to be a prison chaplain and he had a book on his bookshelf that said the king james only controversy i was like "Ooh, what is this and then i opened up and read it and it's actually a book from the opposite perspective and i was like there's somebody who's wrote a book on the opposite perspective and then I opened it, and like I said, like the rest is history on that. I, and then, so I decided to take our church through this. So I studied not just that book. I found other resources. I actually got, um, I got, uh, I went to the other side too. I've got Ruckman. I got Sam Gipp. I got um, William Grady and those guys, and I got their materials. I wanted to hear what they say because I took the argument. And I said, well, this is what he says. I wonder how they respond to the argument. Right. And, um, and so I did nine weeks. I took our church through nine weeks of the translation issue and leading them out of King James because they were too. I mean, a lot of these people, and you know, let me say this, we still use my pastor, myself, our church members. We still use the King James version. We do. And, and my, my, my reason for that was hey, we had people that's, that's the Bible they've used for 40 plus years. Right. I didn't want to tell them to go buy a new Bible when that's what they're familiar with. So we just decided to keep preaching out of it and explain. Maybe when we come to a passage that, you know, is, is better explained another way. But I'll tell you this, it is, it is hurt. I say hurt. My relationship with my father has been very fractured because of it. Wow. And, uh, you know, he, 
the first time he, my brother thought this was going to be a joke, he was playing around with me, and he said, uh, he said, hey, John doesn't believe King James anymore. He said, are you serious? I said, well, let me put it to you. And this is when I was very in the early stages of, of studying the subject. We haven't talked about it since I really have, have gotten it down. But I said, let me say it this way. I said, I can only be dogmatic about what Scripture says. I said, and I do not have a verse in the Bible that says the King James Version is the only version that I should use. Therefore, I cannot hold to that position. And uh, since then, it's been, it's been a different relationship with my dad. But there's a, there's a lot of things to, that we could circle back to, but I'm, I'm kind of curious because I've had a wide variety of guests on the show. I've had people who are now atheist or agnostic or have, you know, people who have left the church entirely. And, you know, on a level of empathy, I understand people who, if their experience with church was a situation of extreme abuse, I, I can understand why they would not want to, you know, darken the doorway of a church anytime soon. Um, so when it comes to questions of, you know, the church, a lot of times it's a, it's leaving the church plus leaving the theology. And obviously you have not done so. So I guess my question for you would be if, you know, obviously I don't think you'd argue that theology of Christianity is harmful, but I guess my question to you as someone who is a, a pastor of an IFB church or not an IFP church, a pastor of a church. Um, I suppose my question would be, why do you think there are so many bad churches that are essentially pulling from scripture that are, that are using scripture as a, as a weapon, as a battering ram, if the theology is okay. What, what's kept you, what's kept you through this? Are you saying that whether the, like an IFB church has good, okay the theology? I, I guess what I would or say is any church. I guess I would say is why you know you've obviously had some negative experiences with the church, with with pastors using scripture to kind of domineer and to right, right. use as a battering ram. So, what is it that kept you holding on to the theology while leaving those kinds of churches? Uh, well, let me say this: that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this because after I heard the first interview with that that uh that with uh my heart, with paul. My heart breaks with paul with uh, right. like you said and it leaves people that the damage that it does and that's why i wanted to, to, to talk about it because man and i know some people i know some people friends that i grew up with that were affected by legalism and then they didn't necessarily – well, I mean, I guess you can make the argument they left church because they became like, oh, we'll go every now and again, but then go to an, a completely left direction when it comes to church. And um, I guess my, my goal is this is, is, hey, instead of doing that, how about don't leave, leave the legalism but dive into the God's Word. Find out what God's Word actually says. Now, I think that a lot of there, – there's some sinister reasons. And there's some not sinister reasons. Sinister reasons why churches do that is because you do have, you do have, as I preached Sunday night from John 10 on, on the Good Shepherd, you do have false shepherds. Right. You do have guys in the IFB that are totally fake. You know, a lot of times it's the prosperity gospel that gets these guys that are just con men. I think there are IFB preachers that are straight con men. They don't believe a word they're saying, right. but they have their niche of power and control. 
I do think there are sect of there's some sinister motives. I think some uh, some of them are not so sinister. It's just it's comfortability, and that's what they've grown up in, and it's so shallow. I think back to some people that I just absolutely love that are still there, and I I think you know they've just accepted that's that's their world. Well, it's almost you know, frustrating yeah. too because you you know people that are in every area of their life amazing people sane people like thoughtful people but when it comes to like addressing or confronting what they believe in a critical way they turn off that part of their brain that would say hey it's not normal to have someone treat your wife like that it's not normal for someone to demand this of your time to pull you from your kids to do this to tell you how to how to carry yourself, what to wear, what to read, you know that kind of thing. But it, when it comes to this particular movement, they're they're taught like if you go against that, you're going against God's will for your life and your family's life. And that's kind of like I think I've said it on previous episodes, but it's kind of this ultimate trump card of like, well, hey, this is your spiritual life we're talking about. You're not just questioning me; you're questioning what God is teaching us to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty bad situation to be in, but I think you, I think you address something that's, that's really hard to, it's hard to cope with, especially when you first leave and there is that bitterness, which is just a natural human reaction to being in an abusive situation. You feel like you've been lied to. Right. And so when you step back, you want to say everybody is motivated wrongly and they're trying to just do damage and gain power and the truth is and i think you hit on this is you do have the con men the abusive cult leader types the jack hiles of the world and you know and i think there's more of those than i think some would admit within ifb circles but there are also people who are well-intentioned who believe that this is what they're supposed to do who are trained by these guys and so they pick up all these harmful patterns of behavior without the exactly. negative motivation behind it. And it's so hard exactly. to, you know, especially doing the show, it's so hard knowing that some of those guys are listening. And so it's like, I want you to know that I get it. I get why you're being motivated by this, but you need to take a look behind the curtain and say, what are the guys teaching you believing? What are the guys teaching you? What, what's motivating that? And I think if more people were willing to look behind the curtain, which it's scary to do, I think there'd be a lot more people that would be like, hey, something's not right here. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of these places, critical thinking is not taught or endorsed. In fact, I'm thinking back to the, co the college, at the way it was at the time that I went to, I, I can only think of one professor that really promoted critical thinking that promoted to try to get us to think through things right. only one. And so, and I think if you study, uh, I've been, I've been doing some study into cults and stuff and, and looking at other cults. And, uh, one of the things that you, you ask people are, they get comfortable. There's a comfort and it sounds insane, but there's a comfort and, and knowing your world and having those expectations. Some people are being abused and they don't realize it. Right. Right. And, uh, and I think that 
you know, you hear these years, you survivor stories and they come out and they think back, Oh, I mean, some obviously know that. I mean, uh, you know, that Miss Sadler that you interviewed, I mean, she mm -hmm. knew exactly what she was going through, but she also talked about several other girls that were experiencing that stuff. Did you think about how many, how many abuse victims does it go through before one speaks out? Right. Exactly. Well, and even the and, ones that do, it's typically 20, 30 years later when they finally yeah. are in a place where they can. Yeah. So do you, would you, so do you define, you just mentioned, I mean, you brought it into the conversation regarding cults. Do you, would you define, would you define like the independent Federal Baptist movement as being a cult? Would you say that there's churches where do you break down in that conversation as far as because because i honestly like i i think that maybe i would define maybe the movement with outliers that are not but uh, how would you describe how would you describe the movement as a whole would you would well, you define it as a cult or no i th i think whenever you interviewed stephanie you that he has brought a fantastic point out about the movement and that's that it's fragmented it's hard to make labels with it because it is so fragmented. Now, um, my pastor did a series on cults in, uh, one time, a couple years ago, and he spent three messages defining a cult. <laughs> it was so funny because the whole time he's defining this thing, I'm sitting there thinking, that's an eye of features. That's, that's an independent of Baptist church. And, uh, and then me and him talked about it afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I, I think that – um, there are, let me say this, and I don't want to, I guess I'm, my best friend uh, is still, uh, my two best friends are still, you know, considered in sort of an IFE church, and I wouldn't consider them anything like these, these right. are what we're talking about. Um, there are some good churches in there. Uh, I do think so. I think there's some good, the good men that are in there. I think that any church Whenever it elevates a man, or i.e. a pastor, right, to the level of God, becomes a cult just like that. Uh, and that could be a Southern Baptist, uh, uh, a Presbyterian, a Methodist. I told somebody that somebody was bringing this up to the to me the other day. They said, you know, well, Southern Baptists have their issues, and and that report about the Southern Baptist abuse victims and, right. and the Catholic. And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. I said, but I spent twenty five years as an IFB and I will speak to what I know. I right. said, I could go and do research about Southern Baptist, but I have a little bit more credibility talking about the independent fundamental Baptist because I was one for 25 years. Right. And you understand That's, the thought processes that have produced a lot of the things right. that we see. I think, I think that there can be individual churches that are very cultic. I think that there can be a major, um, lack of a better term, headquarters that are cultic, uh, I, when I was still in it, when I was in Bible college, I thought how Anderson and First Baptist and Hammond was, was a cult. Right. I mean, you built a statue to a guy. What the heck is that about? Right. I, you build a statue of Doctor Hiles and put it out there like he's Rocky Balboa or Michael Jer Jordan. <laughs> That's idol. That's an idol. Right. I. Uh, it's just a side note, but uh, when we were driving. Um, I was driving to a fundraising event and um, we were driving past uh, through Hammond, Indiana. I was like, I got to see, I was already out of the IFB. I was like, I got to see First Baptist of Hammond. I got to see the college. 
so we stopped up and I took it like 1130 at night. I took like a, I took like a selfie with <laughs> the Jack Kyle statue. Just, Hey, threw up a peace sign. Um, and that was like hilarious to me. Um, but it was one of those weird things where I was like, man, this is just so, so weird. It was just a weird experience of like seeing it in person and like, man, they really think he's like, I mean, it was like Walt Disney in front of Disneyland. It was just like, this is my empire. Um, <laughs> It's. I think the. I think the cold conversation is so interesting because, like, I, I'm always hesitant. Sometimes I'm very hesitant to say, you know. So, like, when I'm writing out my post, when I'm writing out an episode, sometimes I'll write independent little Baptist cult, because I'm referring specifically to what what I see as the majority of people that follow any of those camps, because the majority of IFB churches are not truly independent. And so I know maybe that's the biggest joke right. of the IFB right. is, and I, I thought that whenever I was in college, I was like, they're not independent. Yeah. They, I mean, it's whatever Bible college they also, come from. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, I'm not so hesitant to say that those that do adhere to the camp kind of thinking when it comes to these colleges and these churches I'm I'm much more eager to call them cultish or cults because I do think that there's a cult mentality following we follow Jack Treber, we follow Paul Chapel, we follow Jack Hiles, we follow whoever you want to fill in the blank with. Um yeah. and you know, for me it's been the exception has been when I see a church that's not where it's truly like, hey, we're gonna do what we're gonna do and not worry about affiliation. You know, See, I would agree. With that. I, I would agree with that. That that would be a, a point of argument that I have with some of my friends, where they would say, you know, it's not like that everywhere. This is just the fringe, and I'm like, I just see more of what you call the fringe as being the mainstream, right. and more of the what. I I, I do want to say this. There is I have I have found one pastor, and I don't know much about his theology, but he decides to stay in the IFB, and I will going towards the idea of the abuse side. Um, I do want to mention him because I think he's done a good work of, of, of trying to sound the alarm with that stuff. And speaking of his name, State, I don't know if you've heard of Stacy yeah, Shiflett. Stacy Shiflett. Yeah, I've, I've actually uh, uh, been reaching out to him to try to get him on the show. I'm just to- Okay, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, it's easy for us to say, you know, it, because they make it easy, these, these ridiculousness in the IFB, but – if there's a guy that stands up, I'd like to applaud that guy. And, you know, I may disagree with him a lot on some other theology and right. theological practices, yes. But right. um, but I want to applaud him for doing that because – and here's the thing. You just don't see it. Yeah. You and that's don't the thing see is it. That. What's, what's crazy is when, when his video came out, and I, I speak about this in I, – I was made a guest uh, appearance on um, the True Presbyterian podcast, and – when I, we started talking down this road and one of the things I said that was disappointing to me, and it's one of the things that started fueling what I'm doing now is when, when Stacy Shiflett released the video, I believe it was a year ago now, um, and basically called out that, Hey, there is a problem within independent Baptist churches of covering up child abuse. I mm-hmm. thought to myself, I kind of strapped in. I was like, this is it. This is like, this is the little crack in the dam that's going to release a flood of the good guys. This is going to empower people who have been on the edge of their seat waiting to say something. And that flood never, 
really happen. I mean, there, there was, you know, it was instead what I saw was attacks being volleyed at him on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, pastors speaking out directly and indirectly against him. Um, guys like Bob Gray senior um, launching crazy attacks. And what I saw was instead fundraising for the the criminal costs of the abuser. I saw shaming the victim. I saw shaming him. And to me, that was kind of where I was like, okay, the outlier is amazing. The movement uh, for what it is right now needs to figure out what it means to be independent and to be a Christian church. And yeah. I, I, well, let me say this. I probably should have said this in the beginning. Our church, um, it's interesting. Our church is a uh, Baptist church. It's Calvary Baptist church, Manchester, Tennessee. Um, Baptist church. We are, <laughs> for lack of a better term, we are independent. We are not associated with anything. Um, and we believe in the fundamentals of the faith, but the fundamentals of the faith outlined in scripture and scripture alone. Right. Um, we would probably line up more with a reformed Baptist than we would uh, a independent. But if somebody says, are you independent fundamental Baptist? I would say, no, no, right. no, not a chance, not a chance. Because right. like we said earlier, it's not in, there's an association that is so strong. It's not right. independent anymore. Right. Right. No, that's, um, yeah, that's just an interesting space to be is like that. It's it's almost funny because you it's almost this weird like you're kind of looked at as being like the black sheep of like hey we're not associated but it's like isn't that the point is that we're not part of some convention or some part of a denominational group but when you step out like that there is such a weird stigma around churches and pastors that are truly independent um, one of my I have one of my, I mean, good friends and was my pastor for a while. And um, I mean, performed my wedding. So like performed, officiated, performs not a good word. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, is Josh Ermler in Fresno. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all. Mm. But uh, but um, FresnoChurch.com, there's a plug that I don't know if he'll want from my show. But, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, on, you know, again, same thing, like, if you were to like be like on paper, are you an independent church? Yes, truly independent, does not operate under the authority of another church or ministry or look to another church for approval. Are they Baptist? Yeah, they believe in believers baptism, you know. They believe in, you know, the authority of God's word. They believe in all of these things that are Baptist beliefs, but past that there's literally nothing I can look at sitting down in that church where I would say, Oh, this reminds me of what I grew up in. This reminds me of like the manipulation and the tactics and the, the, the mind control of right. IFB churches. Yeah. And I have a friend that's doing the same thing. He, he has a church in Pensacola, Florida and uh, you know, he he is, you go to his church, you would think this is not an IFB church at all. Right. And he's doing a great work. Right. Yeah, it's um are you familiar with Stephen Hassan at all? No. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right, because I always say it just a little bit off. But um he he's his um I think his Twitter is cult expert. Um let me take a look really quick. Um but he he um 
does a lot of really helpful work with exposing like he's worked with like Scientology with um, a lot of groups that don't have, yeah, it's at cult expert is his, his Twitter handle. And I'm actually working to get him on the show as well, but that's a, that's a big fish to go after right now. Um, but he released a, um, he has something called the bite model. And so it, it's basically stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. And he talks about the difference between a healthy influence continuum and a, or a healthy influence and a unhealthy destructive influence. And um, you were saying when you, when the pastor was going through like the all the different things listing out, you were like, that sounds really familiar. <laughs> um, so this is what he has on the on the so on the healthy column he has for individuals they'll experience authentic self, unconditional love, compassion, conscience, creativity and humor, free will and critical thinking. The leaders will be psychologically healthy, know their own limits, um, empower individuals. They'll be trustworthy and accountable. The organizations will be uh, we'll have egalitarianism, checks and balances, informed consent, individuality and diversity, means create and it encourages growth and you're free to leave. So then so I was reading that, I was like, okay. And then here's the unhealthy side. And this is where I was like, my alarm went off and I was like, oh. Um, <laughs> so, so individuals will experience a false cult identity, conditional love, hate, doctrine, solemnity, fear and guilt, dependency and obedience. The leaders will be narcissistic, psychopathic, elitist, grandiose, power hungry, secretive and deceptive and claim absolute authority. The organizations will be, will uh, have elitism, authoritarian structure, deceptive and manipulative, they'll clone people, which clone people stood out to me. Um, but it's just <laughs> by the means. They preserve their own power and there's no legitimate reason that someone is able to leave. And when I read through that, I was like, man, it's like he just went to like First Baptist Church of Hammond and said, what did Jack Hiles do? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but reading through that, I was like, man, there's so much. Like you could just take that and pick it apart and be like, this applies to so many things. Like it's, it's, and that's, I think that goes back to, and I know, I know this is like a different episode because we're rabbit trailing a lot more into the, the actual structure of it. But I think I think independence is such a is such a for an organization that's named after that ideology of independence. There's so little of it, and mm-hmm. I think what what we've seen a lot throughout this interview is it essentially goes back to when people have ultimate allegiance to one person. That one person starts a Bible college, and they think, "Wow, if I send my kids to that college, or if I go to that college, I can become the next." them instead of from a Christian perspective you know that that pressure was there that pressure was so there I mean it's you can be the next Clarence Sexton you can be the next you know whoever I mean we had it we in chapel one time chapel we had the president the the the, one of the guys the big heads of the college it was supposed to be preaching and instead he he talked a little bit and then he had all the guys there were supposed to be preachers, your preacher boys. <laughs> and uh, he had them all come up one by one and stand behind the pulpit of that big auditorium there that we had. He said, I just want you to think about this being you one day. I mean, and, and this, th- there was this pressure and it took me, listen, I still struggle with it. Right. I still yeah, it doesn't struggle just leave with when you leave. <laughs> yeah. Sunday after Sunday, judging 
my Sunday service and how we did on how many people were in our auditorium. Right. And then fighting depression the next day that I right. was a failure. I know, I know that's not what God's judging me by. But you and I programmed have to tell to my, think Yes, that. I have to tell myself, but still, it, I'm like, man, this person wasn't here. We, we invited this bit. And I still do it because that was, you had to have a large church. Uh, my dad said he remembers going to a sword conference and Heil's standing up telling, telling every fast in the room, if you do not have the largest church in your area, I wouldn't let people know that I'm a preacher. Wow. Yeah. So you have, you have, you have, you sparked something in me. I, I've, brother, my pastor and I have, have pe preached on legalism here. And I know that there's a lot of work to be done with abuse. I'm, I'm doing, I, currently right now, I'm, I'm getting my certification in biblical counseling. And, um, because I'm still in the training stage and, and still, you know, haven't counseled that many, I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to speak to the area that I'm not, I don't know. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to, you know, mess up there. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And I think that you're helping with that. I, I do applaud you. I, you know, I, it breaks my heart for people like Paul and, and others that go through that and then don't come back, you know, to, to end up away from God. Um, but there is work that needs to be done there. But I think the spark that's been lit in me is, is in the area of waking up from legalism. Yeah. And, um, and so I've decided to write a book. I'm going to write a book on the, um, the independent fundamental Baptist movement and legalism. I'm going to talk a little bit. I've already got it loud. I'm, I'm gathering my research materials right now and, and book lists because I'm going to do a little bit on the history of the movement and the history right. of Baptist success, Baptist successionism, which is another rabbit trail to go down. Right. How they teach Baptist history, which is terrible. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, shallow preaching legalism and, and really talk about um, theologically the, the pastoral authority dictatorship type of mentality that is, very prevalent in that right. movement. Well, awesome. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. I mean, let me know when, when you start working on that. Because I do think, you know, you, I mean, it is funny, but, but the preacher boys thing is, you know, that's one of the reasons, I mean, it's named that for many reasons, but, you know, one of that is that idea of copying. It's, it's the, it's what is making this happen over and over and over again. And I think it is the, it is yes legalism but but the legalism is is how can you appease that man that's in charge that's behind the pulpit the the some churches even say like you know he's a leader and his wife's the first lady like i've seen that kind of terminology used like just oh casually. i did that i did that i when oh, i was man. in west virginia that's what i i know i was telling people no you gotta understand the pastor's wife's the first lady we need to treat her right like, you know, and I, I yes, I can't. I was one of those people so, that did that. So I think I think that kind of research into it, like what you're doing, is good because I think it's going to show that the reason that all of this is cyclical and it keeps happening in a systematic way is because people are replicating themselves exactly. And when you have a corrupted belief system and you duplicate it hundreds and thousands of times through colleges and through conferences and through books and, and devotionals and all these different means, you're going to start seeing more and more of these cases that look exactly the same. And that's how you get someone who 
you know, is in Hammond, Indiana, experiencing the same thing as someone who's in Santa Clara, California, or someone who's in, you know, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, or Greenville, South Carolina, because they're all coming from the same corrupted source. And so you have a network of destruction literally spread out across the U.S. And whether people are well-intentioned or not, the, the, the materials they're being given and the tools they're being given to work are damaged from the get-go. And so you're not going to see any kind of success with those tools. Um, I, I, I guess this kind of gets us, I, I know we've talked for a little while, and this kind of gets us to where the question I kind of ask everybody, and you may have answered a little bit, but I'm curious to, to ask again, do you think that there is hope for the IFB movement as we know it today, or is it something you feel people need to step away from and, you know, kind of do what you guys are doing where it's like, you know, Hey, we may have one or two similarities, but we wouldn't really even identify as that camp. Or do you think, uh-huh. do you think these ministries inspired by a, you know, a first Baptist of Hammond and all these different places, do you think they're just flawed from the get go? And, you know, where do, where do you fall on that range? Is there hope for it? Is there not, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, you know, I think some people I like to end on the easy the question. question that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought that you, I thought, thought about this because when you think about, you normally ask it, is there reform for the IFB? I've, I've heard you ask it that way. Right. Uh, when you think about reform or reformation, the, the first thing you have to understand is that God is the one who brings the reformation. The Protestant Reformation in the, in the 1500s, where we first were introduced with that kind of idea, Luther was not intending to reform the Catholic Church when he nailed his right. 95 Thesis. He was just wanting to discuss some issues. Right. Um, so, first of all, that would have to be something that God and his sovereign will decided that needed to be done. The other thing is, is it is a fragmented organization, so it would be difficult for something to happen. And I'd say if there's one person, and you, you, you made an astute, very astute point on this about Stacy Shiflett. If there was one situation that could have happened with that, it would have been Stacy standing up. But I think that there's many doctrinal issues, too, uh, that come into play with the IFB. The other thing, and this is part of me doing some research that I've got, is what's going on with the IFB right now. Because you actually have a, a split going on with two sections of the new IFB. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Yeah. Um, but you have this guy, and very cultic, very cultic Stephen yeah. Anderson Even in Arizona. Even people within IFB circles would say he's cultish. <laughs> Absolutely. He is trying to go start a new IFB, which is, which is probably – more toxic than what we've been discussing yeah. and um and then at the same and all this is happening in the southwest you have another uh group that's doing a it, it's interesting because both monikers are going towards them another new ifb which is more of along the lines of a of a, of a more modernist and adapting some pragmatism into it of uh, being up to date, I think one guy that's 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 really been sort of championed is 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 leading this is a guy named Josh Tice right. out in Las Vegas, and um, I I haven't seen a whole lot that I would be I would have issues with him. He's doing a good job, um, but my question with that is like you know 
is it going to avail to much? And then the rest of the country is what's considered the old IFB. And now I'm going to get into my personal opinion. My personal opinion is I think that the old IFB is going to die. I just think it's, it's going to die. I think that the new IFB that Anderson is, is doing is the cultic one is going to dissolve itself. It's going to eat itself up because they, you know, they can't even get along with each other. One guy does something that just doesn't agree. I mean, you know, sends his kid to a school instead of homeschooling and bless God, he's, he's been put out and said he's going to hell. That's how ridiculous they are. They're going to dissolve themselves and eat themselves up. And I think that the, the new IFB is going to basically end up like you were talking about. And this is just, opinion i'm not a prophet i can't speak to the future but i just i just think that they're going to be like well what's what's the point of carrying the independent fundamental moniker you know we're just we're just a church that loves god and i think that they're going to go that route and and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i'm just saying that's that's where i see it so (laughs) all of that to come around and say hey what do you think it's it's it would it, it's God's prerogative to do any type of reform. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Hmm. Oh, on that hopeful note, maybe <laughs> 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 um, I should ask a happier question at least. But um, but no, yeah, I think that's yeah, there's a lot of really helpful perspectives I think out of this, and I think um, and I appreciate you sharing um, and being willing to, you know, it, it's encouraging to me, you know that there have been so many people like it's it's encouraging me that there are people like you who are you know pastors people who are all different kind of perspectives that are willing to sit down and don't feel you know threatened to sit down on my show and and chat about these things and that i think this you know when it comes to reform or when it comes to shutting certain things down which i think a lot of all of those things need to happen in different ways um i think that um, the only way it's going to happen is if we keep having conversations and dialogue like this. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, Can let, I say me, one quick yeah. thing? Yeah. I want to send, if, if you don't mind, I want to give a message. If anybody's listening to this and and is listening to it from a perspective, if, if, you, if you've been abused, let me say this, get help. You, right. you, need, you need help. Uh, if, you're, if you're from a perspective that you've woke out of legalism, if you've come out of legalism, can I just encourage you? jump into the word of God. And if I could recommend a couple of things, number one, study Galatians, study the book of Galatians. Number two, read, get Chuck Swindoll's book, the grace awakening. Uh, read that book, read RC Sproul's, the holiness of God. Mm, those would be the resources. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Those would be resources that I would say, if you're coming out of legalism, you asked this about about somebody that that didn't leave the faith but stayed in the church. It was it was things like that that helped me say, "Wait, this is not God's not like this. Right. This is what the God of the Bible is." And it was it study the Book of Galatians. That's where Paul really fundamentally deals with with legalism in the church and the proper perspective of that. And then if there is resources that I would say it would it would be Chuck Swindoll's The Grace Awakening. And to balance that out, the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, um, you know, I don't tend to, I, I try to avoid, you know, going too deep into that because it's not ultimately a theological podcast at the, at the right, root. Right. Right. But, um, but certainly, you know, if I'm giving my, uh, if I'm, 
giving my perspective as a as a Christian as well, I definitely can endorse uh, Holiness of God. I'm not familiar with the other book, which I'm interested to check out, but um, yeah, Holiness of God is a really really good book. Um, and just yeah, I mean one of the one of the biggest things that pulled me out of the movement was studying the Bible that we were taught so much was important. <laughs> so absolutely, um, you know, but. But again, wherever you guys are on that journey, um, you know, the one thing I'm not going to say is like fake it till you make it or just try to hang in there. And, oh, yeah. you know, if you if you've experienced abuse, if you're struggling with any kind of mental, um, you know, any kind of mental blowback from the movement, which I think anybody who's been in for a long time has some form of of that um, address it, deal with it through proper channels of counseling through, you know you know, do whatever you need to do. Um, but just, you know, go at your pace and, and try to figure out what the truth is. And, you know, I've said it before on the show, but you know, if you're looking for the truth, you're going to, you're going to find it. It doesn't have anywhere to hide. And, you know, the more you fact check the truth, the more it comes back true. So, um, so you don't have to be worried about, about researching and studying. So, but, um, yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta wrap it up there. Cause I gotta I actually have another appointment. I gotta run to here in a little bit, but um, John, thank you so much for for jumping on for doing that. Oh, thank you doing the interview. Thank and, you. And um, where can people where can people find you if they wanted to see any more from you or if they wanted to keep in touch or is there a, is there a good place to keep in touch? Uh, well, I'm 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 really not the social media savvy guy. I got Facebook and that's about it. Um, but uh, our church website is CalvaryBaptistManchester.com. And uh, from there, we have a media page where our messages are. We have a SoundCloud page that is linked there, uh, Calvary okay. Church out of Manchester. So a lot of our messages and stuff are, are on there. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, if you want to connect, you can connect there. If you want to see more from uh, from John's perspective, you know, that's a good place to go and, and check it out. Um, but yeah, until next time, uh, we'll go ahead and sign it off. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.